Good afternoon. Uh, another busy day here at the White House. As you know, the President has been talking to members of Congress the last few days about the American Health Care Act uh, up through uh, this morning. The Vice President just left a bit ago to meet with some of the lawmakers on Capitol Hill about health care and the rest of the President's legislative agenda. The President uh, was glad to meet this morning with Pre Representatives Long and Upton, who voiced their support for the HCA earlier this morning. It's especially important that we continue to make progress on repealing and replacing Obamacare as rates skyrocket and insurers keep fleeing the market around the country in anticipation of this impending implosion. Earlier this week, Aetna announced that it will scale back its presence on Obamacare exchanges even further in 2018, withdrawing from the Iowa exchange. Aetna had already cut its participation in the exchanges from 15 states to four in 2017. Iowa is going to be hit particularly hard by these recent developments as Medica, the last insurance for uh, most of the state, also announced this week that it will likely stop selling individual health care policies in the state, which will affect tens of thousands of Americans. With reports like these seemingly coming every day, it couldn't be clear that it's time for action on health care. We're glad that so many members are with us and look forward to welcoming even more on board. Also earlier today, the President dropped by an event focusing on school choice that was hosted by the Vice President and Secretary DeVos with students ranging from kindergarten to high school. Uh, most of the students who visited the White House today are some of the thousands of local children who will benefit from the three-year extension of the D.C. School Choice Scholarship secured by the President and congressional allies in the budget deal. The District of Columbia's Opportunity Scholarship Program, which was launched in 2004, provides vouchers to D.C. students whose family either receive benefits under the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, or earn less than 185 percent of the federal poverty level. And this program gets results. Last year, 69 percent of D.C. public school students graduated from high school. That's compared to an incredible 98 percent of the D.C. scholarship students who received their high school diplomas last year. Funding for the Opportunity Scholarship was one of our priorities during these budget negotiations, and the Trump administration is glad to have ensured that the program's extension uh, was taken care of through this appropriations bill on top of the increases in military spending and funding for border security. Today, the President welcomed the President of the Palestinian Authority of the White House for an official visit. The visit stemmed from a phone call the two leaders had on March 10th when President Trump invited President Abbas to Washington so they could discuss in person ways to move forward on a comprehensive agreement that would end the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The two leaders made their own statements just a little bit ago, uh, but to give you a few additional details, some of the topics that were discussed during their meeting and the lunch were advancing the Israeli-Palestinian peace, preventing incitements to violence, particularly in media outlets directly associated with Palestinian Authority, strengthening efforts to combat terrorism, including defeating ISIS, uh, measures to empower the Palestinian economy and provide economic opportunity for the Palestinian people. And additionally, the President raised concerns about the payments to Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails who have committed acts of terror and to their families and emphasized the need to resolve this issue. Later this evening, the President, along with the Vice President, uh, Mrs. Pence, will host members of the White House Evangelical Advisory Board in the residence for a discussion, prayer, and dinner. The President is proud to welcome these faith leaders to the White House for the first time and thank them for their steadfast support ahead of the National Day of Prayer, which is tomorrow. Later tonight, the Vice President will also deliver a keynote address at the Susan B. Anthony List 2017 Campaign for Life Gala. 
Uh, the Vice President's Office has more details on that. And with that, take your questions. Ken. Sean on healthcare. Um, does the President feel like we've reached an inflection point here with the House? Is this a make or break moment in terms of getting the bill through the House? And what precisely is the President doing? And what arguments are he, is he making to members on why they should support this bill? Well, um, I think he's making several points. Um, one is uh, the need that, that Obamacare is failing, and that, as I just mentioned, with that now, in so many cases around the country, uh, the need to have a provider is becoming greater and greater. Um, two is that costs are out of control. These are two basic tenets that you've heard us talk about. Um, but I think overall, the, the efforts that were made and continue, and especially the effort this morning with uh, Congressman Long and Upton, help bring more people into this effort, make it even a stronger bill, and ensure that uh, Americans have a health care system that gets them the care that they need um, at a price that's affordable. Is this a now or never kind of moment, though, with the bill in terms of the House? I, I don't want to put it there. I'm not. I mean, the President's made it clear before that he's not trying to set a date certain. Um, obviously, that's up to the Speaker and the House leadership to determine when that time is appropriate. But as you have seen, we continue to move closer and closer to that time. Um, and the number of members who are supporting it continues to grow uh, further and further. And I think that's a very promising sign. Yeah. Um, yesterday, the president tweeted that FBI Director James Comey gave Hillary Clinton a, quote, free pass for many bad deeds. Is the president comfortable having an FBI director that gives out free passes served during his administration? Uh, the president has confidence in, in the director, um, but I think clearly his point was after some of the comments that were made yesterday uh, regarding the reason for the outcome of the election, I think he just wanted to make it clear uh, what, what exactly happened. On health care, the president appears to be directly involved behind the scenes. Um, how much responsibility does the president plan to take for the outcome of the vote if it does occur this week? Well, I think if we have a vote, which, you know, is looking greater and greater every day, but again, I'm not going to get ahead of the House leadership in deciding when that is. My assumption is the House leaders will call that when that number is uh, will put us over the top. And I feel like, again, you saw two votes come down today. The president's been on the phone constantly. The vice president, the chief of staff, uh, other members of the legislative affairs team calling members, um, talking to them, hearing their concerns. But uh, I think we've made this an unbelievable uh, bill and an unbelievable uh, replacement for Obamacare, which is failing. And that's what we've sought to do from the beginning. Yeah. John, there was a report in Politico yesterday that seemed pretty well sourced, indicating that President Trump plans to sign an executive order tomorrow uh, in the name of religious freedom. Uh, will the president sign a religious freedom executive order tomorrow, and will it enable discrimination against LGBT people? So I know we've, we've talked about EOs for a long time, executive orders. Uh, tomorrow is National Day of Prayer. There will be a proclamation the president will sign. We're looking forward to having religious leaders from uh, – multitude of backgrounds come to the White House and celebrate this day with us. Um, but I've never gotten ahead of executive orders, and I'm not going to... can't deny that, that, that I, I, the executive I, I, order I of the president the, is, a, is a friend of the LGBT I, community. I Isn't that a lie? I answered the question. Thank you. How, how, Sean, a friend of the LGBT community if the, Blake, if the president is considering this executive order. Blake. Well, 
I think we share that concern for uh, the Kimmel's child as well as any child that needs care. And that's frankly why the president fought so hard to improve the bill like he did this morning to make sure that there was that extra layer of protection for anybody with a pre-existing condition no matter their stage in life. Um, that's, that's why we're fighting so hard for this. But I think most importantly, and I think at the end of um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue, he said that there is no, you know, we need to have some of these things that aren't Republican or, Repo or Democrat, uh, that they're American policies. And I think that's what the president is fighting for right now, is to make sure that we have a health care system that doesn't matter where you live or your background, that it takes care of people. Um, we're making sure right now, we've talked about this endlessly over the last month or so, but we've got a health care system that's not doing what it's supposed to. It's failing. Uh, it's costing people too much. It's giving people uh, a card, not coverage. And what the president's trying to do by working with these members of Congress is to make sure that we have the strongest possible health care system that covers them, that gives them the care that they need, that allows them to go see a doctor that covers pre-existing conditions and does so in a way that's not going to be out of range and, and unaffordable for most Americans. And I want to ask you about um, what Hillary Clinton said yesterday. She said, quote, if the election had been on October 27th, I would be your president. And on the Hill today, James Comey testifying said, quote, speaking about October 28th, he said, would you speak or would you conceal? James Comey make the right decision on October 28th. Well, look, I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, and I think if, if games ended in the third quarter, there would, be a, there would have been a different team here last week. But you play a game four quarters, you play an election until election day. Um, so well, with all due respect to her, uh, that's not how it works. You don't get to pick the day the election's on. Um, it's set by the Constitution. Uh, the president won 306 electoral votes. Uh, and I think there's been plenty of uh, analysis on the election and where people chose to spend their time and their resources uh, and their messaging. And I think um, it's somewhat sad that we're still debating why the president won uh, in the fashion that he did. Speaker Conceal, uh, did you make the correct decision? In, in well, I'm not, again, I'm not going to. I think uh, with respect to the election, I think the American people made, made their decision. Amen. Thanks, John. Uh, there's been a lot of focus recently on Ivanka Trump's role in this White House. Um, can you clarify for us what exactly her areas of responsibility are here and what her qualifications are for those responsibilities? Sure. I mean, I think Ivanka has set, um, built in a very successful business. She's been working with women to talk about empowerment and education for quite some time. Um, it's a passion of hers. And I think for her to bring both her business acumen and success, her passion for women, and empowerment and education, um, and entrance into areas and, and uh, that they haven't been able to get to, is one of the reasons that Chancellor Merkel reached out to her and asked her to come to the W20 Summit. Um, because I think she can use her voice um, to help um, bring attention to issues. She can use uh, her uh, resources and knowledge of individuals to help break down some barriers that young women, older women face in education and business. Um, that's, that's where she has always had her passion. That's what she's working on now. Here. For example, the New York Times reported this morning that she has a weekly meeting with the Treasury Secretary. What's, what's that mean? Again, I, I think that I've mentioned it. I think there's a lot of times where she's meeting with folks to understand an issue, to get up to speed. Uh, but I think her primary focus, which she's always said, where her passion is, where her time is going to be spent, is figuring out how to empower women, how to break down barriers for women, whether that's in small business, in education, um, women, uh, young women in poverty or families, and figuring out how to help them. But of course, I mean, part of that is to have conversations with people in government, figure out what programs exist, where, 
we can help additional folks using government or fix a government program that might be not properly being utilized. But there, there's a lot of that, Matt. Healthcare. An analysis from AARP showed that the sickest patients will pay nearly $26,000 a year in premiums under the new health care law, and that $8 billion, which was included in that amendment this morning, is not nearly enough uh, to lower those costs. So I'm wondering, uh, how does that, which would be a major premium hike on the sickest patients, square with the President's promise to both lower premiums and take care of those with pre-existing conditions? So it sounds interesting to me that without – there are so many variables that are unknown that to make an analysis of that level of precision, it seems almost impossible. Well, hold on. Let me, let me give you – give me an example. So right now, preexisting conditions are covered in the bill. They've always have been. We've talked about that before. States have the right to receive a waiver. Uh, if someone has continuous coverage, that's never going to be an issue. Regardless of no circumstance, does anyone with continuous coverage would ever have a problem with pre-existing continuous. If someone chose not to have coverage for 63 days or more, and they were in a state that opted out, and they had a pre-existing condition, and they were put into a high-risk pool, then we've allocated an additional $8 billion over five years to help drive down those costs. So for someone to know how many people that is, what number of states are going to are, are going to receive a waiver, ask for and receive a waiver, is, is literally impossible at this point. So to do an analysis of any level of uh, factual basis would be literally out, out of, not, not an impossible take. questions. Okay. One, um, would the president prefer, does he have a preference as to whether or not states opt out, given that option? And two, yes or no, will people with pre-existing conditions pay higher premiums under this bill than they currently do? I think everything that we've done, including the additional $8 billion this year, have every uh, – everything that I've seen shows that the cost curve goes down for them in a lot of ways. So I would – if you have pre-existing conditions – and again, remember what a small pool that is. If you have a pre-existing condition currently, the bill protects you. The only factor would be is if you live in a state that potentially has a – asked for a waiver and then is subsequently granted it. And if you've gone 63 days without continuous coverage. So if you have continuous coverage, if you live in a state, it'll never, ever be a factor. But the president has worked to make sure that in every single scenario, anybody, everybody, he has kept true to his word that pre-existing conditions are covered and, and that the cost curve continues to bend down. And that, so – Question. The congressman this morning from Michigan was saying he's confident from conversations with his governor right. that his state will not ask for a waiver. Great. Does the president have a preference as to whether or not states ask for waivers? The, the president's preference, and I'm not – the president believes in states' rights, number one. Number two, his – not just preference, his goal is to make sure, as he stated uh, repeatedly, is that pre-existing conditions are covered, um, care coverage goes up, and costs go down. Those are his – uh, the principles that continue to guide him. Cecilia. Thank you. I want to go back to Dr. Comey on the day and some things he said about Russia. One of the things that he said was the Russian government is still involved in American politics. Is that the view of this White House? I think that's the view of the FBI. I mean, that's, I'm not. I, I don't. I mean, that's we rely on them and the rest of the intelligence community uh, to provide the president with updates on on what they're learning. So it's not. It, we don't. It doesn't go that way. They. they uh, the the director. The director and the intelligence community update the president on all of the threats that the United States faces uh, and all of the intelligence activity that that need to be briefed. And in that particular one, does then he accept that? Well, again, I don't know what he is. 
uh, brief the president. I'm not trying to be coy on this, but I'm just saying, like, I don't know what he has recently briefed or how – I know that the question that was asked during the testimony. I don't know what new evidence beyond what they've uh, – what they shared with the president in December has happened between then and now. There's one more thing on that front. He called Russia, quote, the greatest threat of any nation on earth. Is that something the president agrees with? I think the president's been very clear that he thinks the threat that North Korea uh, poses with the potential uh, nuclear weapon that has range capacity is something that he finds to be threatening to the to the lives of American uh, and our allies. Alexis? Well, I have two questions. Okay. Can I follow up on what you were saying about the president's conversation with President Upton? Uh, until yesterday, the president thought there was sufficient funding, and Congressman Upton came to him and suggested $30 billion more. You were just saying that it's impossible to estimate what would be needed. My question is, why did the president think that there was sufficient protection for those individuals who have pre-existing health conditions yesterday, but today he now believes $8 billion will cover it? What persuaded him that the number that he had embraced yesterday was not sufficient and that $8 billion is is going to do it? So uh, in this particular case, Congressman Upton, I think Congressman Long addressed it, that he, uh, through a series of conversations that he had with the president, shared with the president a concern that he had in their shared goal of covering pre-existing conditions. The president, as Congressman Long uh, discussed outside, uh, expressed that uh, – the president expressed to him that the pre-existing conditions were covered and went through the various scenarios. Congressman Long felt as though uh, there were scenarios in which the potentially the high-risk pool – it wasn't a question of coverage, it was a question of cost. Um, and so the president engaged in a conversation with them, and through some of the analysis that Congressman Upton and Congressman Long had done, the president agreed that if we add an additional safety net, which is frankly what that is, not on the coverage but on the cost, uh, that that could ensure uh, that the cost curve further gets down, bent downward. And, and the president agreed. Because at the end of the day, look, the president's talked about this from the beginning, that he wants to work with members to make it the strongest possible bill to have the strongest outcome for the American people in a health care system uh, in which both the cost continues to go down. The, the, and and I, I think that's one point, Alexis, that we keep forgetting in this discussion with what we're trying to do. It's not just replace Obamacare. Obamacare is dying on the vine. The costs are spiraling out of control. Deductibles are going up. And carriers, again, this isn't a theoretical discussion. Aetna, as we just discussed, is pulling out of states you know, and, and counties around the country are now going down to one, in some cases, zero choices. So this isn't a, a question of just replacing something. We are actually at a point where if we don't do something, some people in this country have will have no options for coverage. We've got to do something, and that's where the president is willing, has been willing to work with members, pick up the phone, and figure out how do we get this done to make sure that every American's got the coverage that they need. So ask about the next step. Um, there are members of the House who are concerned on the Republican side that they could vote for something that will change dramatically in the Senate. What does the President's message to those members who are concerned about that? Is he going to press the Senate to embrace whatever may or may not come out, but but you hope may come out of the House? Well, of course. To be adopted by the Senate in whole. Well, I mean, I, I think the legislative process works as well. The Senate will take up the House bill, and then they'll go to conference. Um, and then that's when both sides, again, will have an opportunity to discuss any potential changes. The president feels really good about where this bill, how this bill has evolved, how much stronger it's become um, to achieve the goals that he set out. And he continue to work with, with Leader McConnell and others when it gets to the Senate 
to make sure that we, you know, anything that there could be issues that come up between now and then. But our number one goal is to get it out of the House, focus, and then have those conversations with the Senate, and then go to conference. But for right now, and I, you know, in a perfect world, they would just take it straight up and uh, we would go. But I have a feeling the Senate's going to want to say it this, so we'll go from there. John. Congressman Long, I'm very pleased to be heard before with this legislative fix. They say they've turned their no's into yeses. That's right. Uh, do you believe there's additional legislative fixes that are still to come before this bill actually hits the House floor? I, look, I, I um, the president's always said he's willing to hear ideas. Uh, this is this is a question for Speaker uh, Ryan, Leader McCarthy, and Congressman Scalise in terms of when's the appropriate time. Um, if they feel that they've gotten to a place where they have the votes necessary to take it to the floor based on the number of, of suggestions and fixes and updates, uh, then that'll be up to them. But I'm not going to prejudge. Uh, in this case, through those conversations, and the President has constantly been on the phone uh, for the last several days and continues to do so to hear members' issues and concerns. Um, and so if there's a point, but I, I think we're getting you know to that number closer and closer. But that will be ultimately a decision that Speaker Ryan and Leader McCarthy have to make. On timing, on, on timing um, I've heard different things from the President over the course of the past <laughs> few weeks. Uh, at one point, I heard the President say he wants the bill to be taken up now. Other times, it's not important. We'll just get the bill right. Uh, what's your view? Is it very important? as far as the administration is concerned, that this bill uh, vote take place sooner rather than later? Well, obviously the sooner the better, right? But we don't want to put it up for a vote. I mean, the goal is to pass it, uh, which we continue to get closer and closer to every day. But you don't want to put it up, um, you know, and, and, not, and not move forward. So the president wants to make sure that the leadership is confident that they can pass the bill. And I think he's done everything he can in terms of speaking with members of the House to get there. But ultimately, that's going to be their decision to do it. Um, and I, I think we continue to feel optimistic about the direction that we've seen uh, the legislation go. Mike. I wanted to re <coughs> revisit the uh, President's comments in his tweets about the omnibus spending uh, bill. He campaigned um, on his business record as uh, on his ability to make good deals make better deals than politicians in the past have. Does the President view the spending bill as a good deal? Yes. Chris. Thank you. Sean, can you say definitively that no one living with a pre-existing condition will pay more under the amendment does get passed? I think we've done everything we can um, to, to, to do that. Um, and every measure that the President has taken further not only make, ensures that people uh, with pre-existing conditions get covered in every scenario, but does so in a way that bends the cost curve down. But can you guarantee it? Well, I mean, I, I think, t with all due respect, to answer a question to say, can I guarantee something? But I can tell you that every single thing that the President has done, including the action that he took this morning uh, to work with members of Congress, does everything by every account to bend the cost curve down to help anybody that would potentially fall into that small group of individuals uh, to get, uh, to bend the cost curve down who have pre-existing conditions. So. The answer, you know, is yes, that we have done every single thing possible to get that down and to ensure that, number one, that that potential is as small as possible because the bill covers people with pre-existing conditions, number one. Number two, it does everything to ensure that if a state uh, seeks a waiver, that they are still covered. But it looks at every single possibility to ensure that people get the care that they need. You criticized former President Obama rushing through his health care plan. Is this not being rushed through? This legislation hasn't even been scored yet by the CBO, for example, or put up for public debate, this latest piece of legislation. 
Well, every piece of legislation evolves as it goes through the process. We saw that this morning. I think we had a piece that makes it even a stronger bill. But the underlying principles that we have been talking about have been something that Republicans have been talking about and have had the contours of for the last seven years. This was something that uh, has been part of the process for a long time. The president, I mentioned this last time, the president expects to see a vote when the speaker and the leader and the whip call a vote because they believe they have the votes to go on. John? It looks like we're on the precipice of a vote on the omnibus spending bill. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said a short time ago that Republicans got their clocks cleaned on this bill. Looks like as many as 100 House Republicans will vote against it. How do you square that with the pronouncements out of this White House that this was a big win for Republicans? I, I don't. I think Director Mulvaney addressed that extensively yesterday. But to get back to Mike's point, this is a good deal, a great deal for the president. He got $21 billion in military funding. That is a huge campaign pledge that he made very clearly uh, to modernize and update the military. It fully funds the largest military pay raise in six years. It ends the Obama-era sequestration policy of pairing increases of domestic spending for every dollar to dollar. It got $1.52 billion in border security, which is the first installment in securing our nation's southern border. It got $1.3 billion to coal miners, uh, which delivers on another promise that he made. There's no Obama bailout, Obamacare bailout, the CSR payments, which was something that the Democrats want on. There's a three-year extension of the D.C. Opportunity Scholar choice, which we, you saw the children that will benefit from that this morning. It increases funds for opioid uh, crisis. It eliminates rescinds and terminates 150 programs or, or initiatives. I think what you look when, you know, and Director Mulvaney laid this out yesterday, when you look at what the president came forward with a month or so ago and said, these are my priorities, he got what he asked for. And I think that's big. Um, so this is a – the president feels very good about what he got. And again, I think it's important to understand underscore two points. Number one, in the Senate, we needed 60 votes. This, is, this had to be a bipartisan action uh, because it is a spending bill. So therefore, we needed to get Democratic votes with us. But if you look at – uh, as Director Mulvaney pointed out yesterday, it used to be a one-for-one one spending increase if we wanted military increase. We got that down to a dollar to 20 cents. That is a huge win for the president. He negotiated a fairly strong deal when it comes to what they got versus what we got. The other thing that's important to understand is that this is just the final five months of FY18. Any president coming into office wouldn't get the first shot at a budget until the end of September of the year after they got elected. So in theory, he got to push for his priorities, military spending, border security, D.C. schools, all of the things I mentioned right out of the gate. And for the last five months of this fiscal year, something that should have happened during the Obama administration, he got his priorities, uh, a down payment on them. Quick topic, if I could. This is at least the fourth White House, fourth administration in a row that has come in with uh, optimistic predictions of how Middle East peace will go. What's going to be different this time? Well, I, I think the man is different. Um, you, you look at what the, the president's diplomacy style is paying dividends, uh, whether it's getting uh, someone who is held for years in Egypt released, whether it's the action that China's taken. Um, the relationships and the foundation that the president is rebuilding are going to pay huge dividends for this country uh, in terms of our economic interests, our national security interests. But this president's style is one to develop a personal bond with individuals. And I think you saw that today with uh, President Abbas him talking so kindly about the president. You saw that 
the relationship that exists and is only getting stronger between him and Prime Minister Netanyahu. You have two individuals who, because of this president, are increasing their desire for peace. You've got an individual in President Xi in China that has taken fairly significant action to help the come work with the United States, especially with respect um, to our desire to end the threat in North Korea. Um, that has been unprecedented. The president's ability to connect with an individual, to work with them towards a shared goal, to have backroom diplomacy, um, is something that is going to continue to pay dividends and get results for this country. Uh, Charlie. Can I follow up on John's question? Please? Charlie. Um, in January, the president did an interview deriding the little toy walls on the southern border. That, 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 that's a quote. And said, I don't know why they're even wasting their time. Why is the government focused so much on existing border security measures rather than fighting for the wall that he promised that he would build? Thank you for an opportunity to show you some things. Uh, so if I can get a quick, the first image up. Uh, you, knew, you asked. No. Uh, but I, I, you literally could not have helped me out. The, this is what exists right now throughout our country. This is the kind of barrier that exists throughout the country. You see uh, a, a place where cars can literally create little things and drive over. You've got places that can get burrowed under. That one they've cut through. That one doesn't seem to be too effective at keeping people in it. This is what that, those images represent our nation's current border security. According to a GA report from earlier this year, from fiscal year 2010 to fiscal year 2015, the Customs and Border Patrol recorded a total of 2,000, excuse me, 9,287 breaches in pedestrian fencing at an average cost of $784 per breach to repair, right? So every time that they cut through, break through, put something over, it's costing just under 1000 bucks for, for us to go out and have to fix. Now to the next slide. <laughs> you had no idea you were getting this, did you? Um, so the bill that is about to get passed uh, Title VI, uh, which pertains to the Department of Homeland Security's funding on additional appropriation, states that an additional $497.4 million, quote, for procurement, construction, and improvements, uh, of that total, $341.2 million are to, quote, and this is literally what it says in the bill, to replace approximately 40 miles of existing primary pedestrian and vehicle border fencing along the southwest border using previously deployed and operationally effective designs such as currently deployed steel baller designs that prioritize agent safety. So that's your answer, Charlie. Hold on. So, so hold on, hold on. Let me just, we have, we have a porous border right now with broken fences, things that can be cut through, places that can just literally be driven over. And to replace this with 20-foot-high Ballard Wall will protect, will protect our country, something that the DHS has designated the most effective way to do this. So that's what we got out of this bill. Just one question about sure. the photos. Are those photos of fences or walls? That is called a Ballard Wall. That is called a levee wall. So that's the wall that no, no, no. I'm just, no, no. There are various types of walls that can be, be built. Under the legislation that was just passed, it allows us to do that. As we've mentioned, that is called a levee wall on the left. That is called a bollard wall. Huh? So that's not a wall. It's a levee wall? That's what it's actually called. That's the name of it. It is called for... Fencing, not no, no. wall. In this current bill, it allows us to do the following. So to be clear, in several areas along our southern border, 
we have, a, we have what was in the first slide, which are areas in which someone can literally cut through the pair of wire cutters or put a little barrier over that a car can drive over the top. Okay, what we've done is taken the tools that we have to replace, and if you look at that one in particular, you've got a, a chain link fence is what is currently at our southern border. That is literally down there now. We are able to go in there and instead of having a chain link fence, replace it with that bollard wall. That, that's what it is. That No, no, hold on. As, uh, hold on, Jim, we're going to take turns, but just to be clear, because Charlie asked the same thing, so I'll give you a little help on this one. That this is the 2017 budget. The president, this is a down payment on what the president is going to prioritize in the 2018 budget that starts October 1st. And as I mentioned to John Roberts, the idea that we even got a shot at this is something that should have been last done last term under President Obama. We have an opportunity to use the last five months of the FY17 budget to get the president's priorities jump started. So he is using the current bill to get his priorities moving and put it down. To answer the question, it is currently being built in NACO, Arizona, Sunland Park, New Mexico, and we are going to be starting to do this in San Diego, El Paso, and Rio Grande Valley. So you're basically just telling supporters, the, the president's supporters, to be satisfied with this existing tough guy fencing until he's ready to build a wall. No, what I'm telling anybody is that the president said he was going to build a wall and he's doing it. He's using the best technology and what the Department of Homeland Security under Secretary John Kelly says is the most effective way to keep people out, to stop drugs, to stop cartels, to stop human trafficking, and to prevent illegal immigration. That's what I'm telling you. And said he wants to see East Jerusalem as the capital of the future Palestinian state. Yesterday, Vice President Pence said, "You're still looking right. at you moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Jerusalem." What is the White House view on those remarks? I mean, we didn't hear anything from President right. Trump in response to that. Time. I think the Vice President, as you noted, commented yesterday that it's still something that is being discussed and considered by the President. Uh, it'll continue to be a discussion that he has with both Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Abbas, but obviously we're not going to... Again, I'm not going to... I will. They, they, are, they had a series of private discussions. Uh, that is why the President is able to effectively uh, get things done for this country, is to not negotiate out in public. He's going to continue to have discussions with Prime Minister Netanyahu, President Abbas, moving forward, uh, and he feels confident about where that relationship was and developments that were made today. Well, he doesn't yeah. object to what President Abbas said. It's decided. I'm not going to negotiate what they are talking about in private from this podium. So that's I understand it. I'm just telling you that we are not going to negotiate from the podium. Jim. Just to follow up on, on the President's meeting with Abbas, he did say at one point, frankly, talking about Middle East uh, peace and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, maybe it's not as difficult as people have thought. Why, why does he believe that the toughest, arguably the toughest foreign policy challenge in our lifetime may not be as difficult as people thought. I think both of these leaders have very publicly expressed the confidence they have um, in the president's negotiating skills, in the president's desire to work to get peace, the relationship that he's built with them individually, and the trust and respect that they have for him. Um, and I think that he, in discussions with them, in private discussions with them, um, feels very optimistic about the shared goal that everybody has. Obviously, there's a lot of issues that have to get covered, uh, but the president understands that they they respect his ability uh, to want to get this done his uh, 
relationships and respect that has been have been developed. And I think uh, this is something that he really wants to have, have happen. And, and going back to health care, why even monkey around with pre-existing conditions? That's the most popular thing in Obamacare. Why, why are you guys spinning your wheels messing around with pre-existing conditions? I, don't, I wouldn't call it messing around or however you phrased it. Uh, I think the president wants to do everything. Right now, people with pre-existing conditions are covered. They're not discriminated against. Know, just, hold on, You're going to change to a system where who the hell knows what's going to happen. It, it depends on what state they live in. If they live in this state over here, that, that governor may seek a waiver. And all of a sudden, they're thrown into this system where hopefully that fund is going to cover their pre-existing conditions. It is a big change for people who live with those kinds of illnesses. Is it not? Well, look, the big change, I, I don't, I, I guess we have a very different view of this because my view, and I think the president's view, is that Obamacare, you, you, if you have a pre-existing condition and you no longer have a health care provider and your, or your, your, your premiums are deductible or going through the roof, then you don't have coverage. And we just read it out. I mean, I don't, if you you're have... throwing the baby out with the bathroom. No, no, no. What I'm saying to you right now... Because it's not, it's not you're saying it's not working... But then why change pre-existing conditions? We're why? not. No, no, why we're strengthening. I, I think, look, we have done everything to do to not only strengthen, but to guarantee. If the governor can say, you know, here's my waiver and no sure more pre-existing can. conditions. Sure you can, Jim. I walked through this. But I, I think the fundamental point that seems to get, be getting lost is that if you have Obamacare right now, in case after case, you are losing it. So if you have a pre-existing condition and you have a card that says Obamacare, but no one will see you or you can't afford it, then you don't have coverage. Why not the, fix that? We are. That we're guaranteeing it, but I don't know how much. Why, why, why we, we have literally the president. The, have to be the, altered. Why not just keep that The, the president has made it very clear that pre-existing conditions are covered in the bill under every scenario. I don't know how much clearer we can state it. So anybody that, who has a pre-existing condition under Trump care, they're, they're going to be fine. Yes. Without question. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. I want to follow up on health care. I just want to know why the White House is pushing so hard for a vote on this health care bill at a time when, as you just said a few minutes ago, it's literally impossible to analyze its impact on the health care system. I, why not wait for that analysis to come out? The, the vote is going to happen, as I've said like eight times now, when the speaker and the majority leader and the majority whip want to. Our job is to work as hard as we can to work with members of Congress who want to see their health care system improved. That's what we're doing. That's what we've done. Um, and uh, and so it'll be up to the House leadership to decide when to vote. Zeke. Two questions for you. One following on Jordan real quick. You just made a guarantee to the American people on behalf of the president regarding pre-existing conditions, but you told Matt and then Jordan Matt, earlier that literally impossible to know the impact of this law. So how can you make that guarantee? No, no. I, I, he was asking, they were asking about cost. The president has made it very clear on numerous occasions that he's going to make sure that pre-existing conditions are covered. And so then the White House has the analysis to back that up. Is what you're it, it, every scenario, yes. And then to follow up on something that Director Mulvaney said yesterday um, regarding the President's tweet about the saying calling for a good shutdown potentially in September, he said the reason the President sent that tweet was he was frustrated by Democrats spiking the football and thereby poisoning the well for future negotiations. Um, the President, when he was campaigning, said he was going to win for all Americans. Why did the President's feelings matter at all? And it's the process that I think he's, he's frustrated with because he does want to win for every American, and I think that's why he's fought so hard for this. Uh, but you've seen time and time again Democrats obstruct routine things that they supposedly are for but do everything they can to obstruct. I think the president uh, is, is frustrated with the system. He's talked about how archaic it is in the Senate in particular because he is out there working um, 
to try to get, whether it's health care or tax reform or his cabinet um, through the Senate. There are various things that the president's trying to do that are, are issues when he's having conversations with members of the Senate uh, or the House who will say, I'm with you on this great idea, but I just can't vote with you. He is, I think, understandably frustrated uh, with how hard he's working to achieve the promises, goals, uh, and objectives that he set out with the American people to make the country better um, and to deal with multiple layers of obstructionism. Sarah. Thanks, John. So um, you've cited the 60-vote threshold as the reason why uh, funding for the wall wasn't pursued in this spending bill. But what's going to be different in September? I mean, presumably the legislative conditions would be the same. So what will change between now and September to give you confidence that we'll get funding for the border wall then? Well, I think there's multiple things. When you come in, uh, this CR, there was a lot that was already carried over from last time in terms of the, because it's not just a continuing resolution. It's a total omnibus package, meaning that there are multiple bills that are a part of the underlying package that already have increases or underlying policy in them from the previous fiscal year, from the previous Congress, from the previous administration. This bill will reflect in 2018 the President's priorities in working with the Republican House and Senate. Thank you guys very much. See you tomorrow in New York. Have a good one.